We come to the end of St. Peter's letter, his first letter. In this letter, as we have recalled, the theme is that of suffering. And however, uh, we should, I think, be encouraged that uh, the Apostle Peter here is drawing our attention to this idea uh, that um, this suffering, uh, while it be difficult, challenging, and uh, will not end on this earth, yet Peter has managed... Uh, and uh, rightly so, should draw us into an exuberant sort of step on the tips of your toes kind of joy as we think about what it is that God has called us to. The reality is that God has exiled us in redeeming us to Himself. He's exiled us. Uh, He has made it uh, to be such that we are no longer, if you will, citizens of this world, but citizens of heaven. Uh, I'm not trying to knock or diminish the citizenship of our country, which definitely needs tending to. But nonetheless, the idea is here that Peter is drawing us into a recognition that the context of our lives, of the life of the redeemed, is that of suffering. And also, in our day, it would be important for us to recognize that obviously this runs tremendously counter to our own, uh, really, if you will, Christian cultural experience. I'm not sure who coined the phrase, perhaps it was Francis Schaeffer, that coined this phrase, personal peace and affluence. Probably his most popular work, How Should We Then Live? Uh, In that work, he he addresses this idea that Western culture uh, has come to the point of having uh, really a lack or a loss of values, but nonetheless, as he says, impoverished values of personal peace and affluence. Values which have been studiously supported by a willing and compromised evangelical church. In fact, the current mark of success for these churches is the ability to be universally appreciated by unbelievers and to be viewed as financially robust. Now, so this is the idea. This is the really the Christian culture that many of us have grown up in. Uh, we, have, we have seen the definition of excellence to be that of luxury. Uh, and so the idea here, and, and that's one of the reasons that Peter sort of jerks us into a right view of reality as he again wants to remind us of the context of our Christian life. But it isn't merely suffering. It's an exuberant, joyful, expected, victorious suffering that is associated with a growing communion with our Savior and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as the kind of battlefield fellowship that could simply not be duplicated in any other way but that in which we work and walk uh, and fight, if you will, shoulder to shoulder in the church militant. Expecting one day, very soon. And the words of Peter... For a little while, we're on this earth, and then we enter into the days of the church triumphant. So that really, I think, would help us to you know, really consider uh, why is it and what is it about this uh, that is abrupt to us, but also hopefully refreshingly joyful as we anticipate faithfulness in walking with the Lord once He calls us to life and makes us alive. Now, the second thing that I'd like to encourage you with as we think about the Apostle Peter writing this letter is to ask this question, and really he answers this question in this last chapter. 
And the question that I'm talking about is, who is this Peter? What, what exactly is his context for writing to us about these things? Now, let's look briefly at Peter. And in order to do that, I'd like to draw your attention actually to the Gospel of John. This is the Peter that's writing this letter. In the Gospel of John, in verse, chapter 16, verses 32 and 33, the Lord Jesus Christ says this, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered. He's talking to the apostles. Each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the prophetic words of our Savior before He was betrayed. Yes, the one that has written this letter, 1 Peter, is the one who, along with all the other apostles, left Him and fled. And then we look at chapter 21. After the Lord Jesus was resurrected, verse 1, after this Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. I draw your attention to the leadership of Apostle Peter. He goes, they follow. They went out and got into the boat. Not always to the right place. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. I encourage you to make note, the apostle or the one that Jesus loved. John obviously recognized the Lord Jesus. He had a deeper relationship with him, likely knew his silhouette, understood his voice, heard it, and said to Peter, it is the Lord. What did Peter do? He jumped in the water swam to the Lord Jesus. Now when they had finished breakfast, I'm in verse 15 now of John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the Peter that wrote the letter. 
This is the Peter that uh, was persuaded that uh, while he followed the Lord Jesus on earth before his crucifixion, that all was well and that the great days were ahead. Peter wasn't wrong in that, but he also wasn't fully understanding about the crucifixion and then the resurrection. He really considered that the whole thing was a bust, but it wasn't. It wasn't a bust. And he is restored, as you see here, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has this theme about feeding sheep, about tending sheep. And he asks Peter, do you love me? And were you to be able to read this in the Greek, you would recognize that the Lord Jesus uses this term of unconditional love, agape, when he talks about do you love me. And Peter is only able to use the term of brotherly love, phileo, when he talks about the way that he loves the Lord Jesus because he recognizes that, that he's a broken man, that he's a sinful man, that he's an imperfect man. But nonetheless... He recognizes the charge that he's been given and will go forward. And so we see that Jesus calls this man who's been humbled, who's faithful, who's energetic, who's zealous, who's leaning into the gospel, albeit imperfectly. And this is the one who writes to us this letter. And so that brings us really to chapter 1, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 5 in 1 Peter. And in these first few verses, what we have is really all three words that are used to refer to the term elder. Uh, In these these first two verses, we have the term elder here, uh, which comes from presbyter. We have this concept of shepherd, which is this poema word. And we also have oversight, exercising oversight, which comes from the word episkopos. That's often referred to or translated as bishop. So we see that... These are all the same office, all the same person. But Peter, nonetheless, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So who is this Peter? Well, he informs us right out the gate in verse 1 that Peter, this is the regular guy, Peter. This is, this is not the elder over you. This is the elder among you. This is a fellow elder. I'm a guy, you're a guy. I'm an elder, you're an elder. We're, we're of the same sort. That's Peter. This is Peter, the regular guy. Peter's informing us. Uh, again, he's, he's helping us to recognize uh, that, that in fact he is an under-shepherd. There is a chief shepherd. It's not Peter. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter, the regular guy. Peter places himself squarely in this position, not over others. He's an elder like those elders who are the recipients of the letter. But also Peter is one who has seen the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the theme of the entire letter is suffering, and Peter has had significant experience, not only in seeing the suffering of Christ, but what else? Don't forget what we just read in John chapter 21. What did the Lord Jesus say of Peter? I don't know that he prophesied any other apostle's death, but he did Peter's. You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This faithful Peter recognized, had this, if you will, burden that he carried, recognizing that he would die a painful death, crucified on a cross 
upside down. And so this is prophesied here by the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of John. So this Peter that wrote this letter about suffering, he understands Christ, he understands the Scriptures, but he also has experientially understood not only the sufferings of Christ and the hard knocks of being one who follows the Lord Jesus, but one who looks forward to not only the glories of heaven, but that thing between him and the glories of heaven is a very difficult crucifixion. But also we see this, he's a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. There's this already and not yet idea that Peter is talking about here, this glory that will be revealed. When you hear the foolish words, your best life now, you should probably, among other things, throw your head back and chuckle. People, if your best life is now... I don't know what the future holds for you. Because I've heard on good authority that heaven is a pretty good place. And it's a whole lot better than this place. Peter is talking about this very thing. He's talking about the end of suffering. When is that? It's not going to be at your current address. It's heaven, right? It's heaven. And Peter is saying that that I am a partaker with you of the glory that is going to be revealed. He's a partaker. So there's this interesting idea that he uses, again, this present tense, I am partaking with you of this glory that will be revealed. Again, helping us to understand and assuring us that, look here, We have a loving Father right now. We have a chief shepherd in the Lord Jesus Christ, our brother. We have one who's in charge. He sees all things. He knows all things. He's with us. He's directing our steps. We are partaking of this glory now. This is Peter. This is the right way. This is the idea of of, of really exoneration, of vindication that we see in Psalm 23, for instance, when, when David says, the Lord will prepare for me a, a table in the presence of mine enemies. This is vindication. This is a recognition that, look here, those who follow Jesus, the world made a mockery of them. But in the end, they will be shown to be the ones that were following the Lord and Master. They will be shown to be the ones that had the right understanding, that went the right way, that were redeemed, this idea. Psalm 25, the same idea. Uh, Here David says in Psalm 25, this idea, let me not be ashamed. Ashamed of what? Ashamed of following the Lord around a mocking world, around people that would reject God in every way. Uh, David is crying out to the Lord, let me not be ashamed. And Peter no doubt had the same idea in his mind as he talks about being a partaker of the glory yet to be revealed. Again, this is where we are. We speak to our neighbors, even though it looks like a very difficult place that we live in today, right? We can talk to our neighbors and say, there's a better way. We know the Master. We know how this is going to end. We have the truth of God. Let me tell you what it is. Now, Peter exhorts two two kinds of categories of people. And 
No doubt you've heard the phrase, you can break people up into certain categories. Sure you can. And Peter does the same thing. And he breaks everybody up, and so everybody's included in this, and then they're in the categories of elders and not elders. No, it doesn't matter, uh, but nonetheless, that's how the letter breaks down. So first thing he does is he addresses elders. And he has uh, a similar pattern for each one. He has an exhortation for each group, and he also lays out promises, and then he also has warnings. The Apostle Peter makes prom- he shows the promises of God as well as the warnings here. And so we look here at the exhortation to the elders, and he says this in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This idea of shepherd, this first aspect of, of being an elder, this idea of tending, of feeding, of leading to safety and provision. I would draw your attention to the little word among The flock among you. Now, children, everyone else, don't, don't zone out on this first exhortation to elders, okay? Because these inclinations and tendencies are also true of us. Because the reality is, is we may have in the back of our heads that we want to go to a famous place. We want to be around beautiful people. Now... I'm persuaded that we are beautiful people, for sure. We are of all people most blessed, are we not? But are we not inclined to say, I want to be somewhere else, and I want to minister to somebody else? Because let me tell you, I'm going to be really great somewhere in my own mind, right? But Peter says, shepherd the flock among you. The reality is is that God has placed each of us purposefully in places with work to do. Now again, this is not an admonition, okay, that that it would be wrong, okay, for someone to travel, live somewhere else and minister. So I'm not proposing that Peter is 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 admonishing us never to think about doing that. But again, I, I think it's important that we look at our inclination. To We make promises to ourselves about conditions that we are not even in, right? How many times have we said, if only, right? If I was in this situation, I would do this. If I were here, I would do that. If I had this money, I would be this way. If I looked like this, I could do that. If I had this clothing, I would do that. If I had this job or this education, I would do that. But God doesn't work that way. You see, he's put all of us together at this time. How many of you would rather live some other time? Sorry, you got stuck with 2022. And the Lord purposefully has made it that way. He's placed us in this generation, right? And that's what Peter is encouraging us with. Shepherd the flock among you. Live the life where you are. This is the idea that he has. Now, this concept of shepherd also, of course, has to do with leading. Aspect of leading. This is also true of the other aspects of the description of elder, whether it's the episcopos or bishop idea, or the presbyteros, this idea of elder. It has to do with leading. And, and uh, just a, a, perhaps a little bit of uh, Texas education, for those of you that are not sure, it, it has been said that cattle are driven and that sheep are led. 
Have you ever heard that? Well, I'm here to tell you it ain't true. Because I would draw your attention to the, the positions on a cattle drive. And the guy in front is the point man. And he's leading. And he knows where to go. And the cattle follow him, right? And then you also have the flank man, right? But in, in the back, yes, there is some driving going on in the back, right? But most of it is a process of being led. Being led. Sheep are led. Cattle are also led. And this is the idea. There is a leader. We have a leader. He's the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has under shepherds. Now, the Apostle Peter also has a number of things that fall into this pattern that we have here. He says in verse 2, Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So you see, there's three couplets here. Three couplets. Again, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And I would encourage you to see that, in a sense, these are biblical opposites. These are biblical opposites. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. For instance, what's the, what's the biblical alternative to being domineering? It's a leadership by example, right? It's this idea that Paul says over and over again, do what I do. Well, what are you doing? <laughs> right? What are you doing? And so the Apostle Peter is asking a question to the elders. Elder, why are you here? Why are you here? And what are you doing? What I've noticed with the men in the military that I've worked with, particularly these higher level leaders, is that they're inclined, when they get out of the military, to enter back into a position that I would consider flesh-feeding. Flesh-feeding. Even those that have been committed to the church are not interested in, as the Apostle Peter says in this letter, clothing themselves with humility. Because the reality is, as senior officers in the military, it's easy to begin to enjoy that. It's kind of neat having people kind of at your beck and call. And it's flesh feeding. And the reality is, is that often people use leadership positions because they're drawn to having their flesh fed. And that can happen in a myriad of things. And the Apostle Peter addresses this idea further on as we will get to it here. But nonetheless, Peter is drawing our attention to simply living a life of faithfulness. And I think a helpful associated verse would be the words that were spoken to David in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 12. I quote the King James. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. In this, the Scriptures institutionalize the simple practice of doing the right thing for the right reason and leaving the consequences to God. Listen to what, listen to what counsel David's general told him. Let us play the men for our people. And God do that 
which he thinks is best. Leaving the consequences of faithfulness in his hands. In our modern, educated era, right? We have all sorts of sophisticated calculations in which we are understanding what the cost of faithfulness is and always working it from a cost-benefit analysis. There is nothing like that in the Scriptures. Walk up, be faithful, and let the chips fall where they may. That's what Peter is calling us to here. Now, there are promises that are made. We see this right here in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What is he saying? Peter is talking to the elders and he's saying, look here. The chief shepherd is watching you. He has his eye upon you. He's caring for you. You're drawing strength from him. He has purposefully set before you a people to minister to. He is is praying for you. He is interceding to the Father for you. He is here for you. The chief shepherd has his eye on you. And there are promises that are made. He he is a shepherd who who rewards his under-shepherds. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he has exhortations here to others as well. He says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Hebrews chapter 13 addresses the same subject. Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping. Watch over your souls. We have this aspect of watching, of watchmanship, of this idea uh, regarding the flock of God. And then Peter goes on and says, Clothe yourselves with humility. Likely Peter had in his mind this scene that he saw the Lord Jesus in John 13 when Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Are you ashamed to wear the clothing of a servant? That's the idea that Peter's getting at here. How do you feel about getting your hands dirty? How do you feel about being associated with people who are unbelievers? How do you feel about associating with people who have real physical needs, real spiritual needs? The Lord Jesus took off His outer garment and put on the clothing of a servant. The Lord Jesus said Himself, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And the student is not above his master. Right? So that's what Peter is calling us to here, and he says, you're blessed when that which identifies you is being a servant. If the Lord Jesus did anything, he exalted servanthood, didn't he? We know that he exalted womanhood. He placed manhood in its right position. And he also exalted the position of servant. And we have promises that are made here as well. What is that promise in verse 5? You like grace? Do you like grace? Well, you better 
you better open up your servant apron because it's going to get all kinds of grace dumped in it because the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. But He opposes the proud. A few weeks ago, Noah was playing soccer with some of the other children. Um, Somebody on the other team ran into him and I thought, well, that's what happens when you hit an immovable object. God opposes the proud. You want to bump up against an immovable object? Be proud. Because you are going nowhere. Because God opposes the proud. Right? But He gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. This idea of casting, flinging something away from you, uh, although it's kind of an interesting uh, perception here because we're not really throwing rocks indiscriminately because who is it that's getting the things that we cast? Jesus Christ. Please take this, Lord. Please take this and take... You see, there's an expectation, anticipation by the Apostle Peter that living life in this way causes great anxiety and concern. Right? Tremendous burden. Right? But he says, cast these on the Lord. Cast these on the Lord. He's exiled you in giving you life and has set before you a work that's impossible to do without Him and the faithful church. The biblical doctrine of vocation is about you serving others to the extent that you very quickly get beyond yourself and must have the resources that are only available to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he has a warning here. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Alert, intensely aware of surroundings, limiting oneself for the purpose of being useful and available. Spiritual destruction is real destruction. Limiting yourself. How do we do that? Well, let's let's place it in perhaps one of the most simple terms. And this is something that I encountered time and time again. I would talk to people about promotion. And they their expectation in the Christian culture that we live in, if it's that they're offered a promotion, they should take it. Why? Why? A promotion only means more demand from you and less time to minister to others. That's usually how it goes. It is flesh feeding, right? And we might say, well, we can do more with the money. Okay. More disposable income to do what? (laughs) To do what? People say, well, I just got promoted. Okay. So I should stay in the Navy. Okay, why? Oh, well, why? What are you going to do? Right? And so this is the idea that Peter is bringing across to us here. This idea of being sober-minded and watchful. Right? Limiting oneself for the purpose of being useful and available. 
We might think of spiritual destruction as something that isn't real, but it is real. Just the same as spiritual life is real, spiritual destruction is also real. And let me tell you about this warning. He says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking someone not to merely control or pull away from Christ. How do you think of Satan's work? Do you view Satan as this, this, uh, this being that's simply trying to draw your attention away? Well, the Bible, interestingly enough, describes Satan also as a lion. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But let's talk about this for a minute. How is Satan the lion described? He's described as one who walks around seeking what? To pull your attention away? No. No, and one who has written about this most usefully is C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters. He says, make no bones about it. The devil intends to devour you. Lions don't do pretty things with their food. Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour. However, our Lord Jesus Christ, if you were to make note of the shorter catechism number 26, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself and ruling and defending us and in restraining and conquering all our enemies. How does he act as a lion? He conquers, he leads, he subdues. Right? Christ as a lion doesn't eat people, okay? Satan as a lion does. That's what Peter is warning us with here. And next we have the promises. After a little while, after you've suffered a little while, now children, here's a question for you How long is a little while? How long is a little while? Well, a little while in this letter that Peter has written is all of our earthly life. All of our earthly life. Suffering is not to be alleviated on earth due to the conditions that are bettered by suffering. This is an important idea. The idea isn't that we as believers have a season of suffering on earth and then the good days come on earth. Peter, again, is exhorting us to recognize, no, 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 that's not normal. That's not normal. Warfare is warfare. And the victory is in heaven, not on earth. That's what Peter is calling our attention to here. We have a warfare mentality. This warfare mentality. This idea of our current culture and emphasis on social media, on narcissistic mentalities of living by likes is completely shed. This is one of the interesting things that occurred uh, with the, the recent uh, war in Iraq and Afghanistan, particularly amongst the soldiers and the military. And this idea uh, that what, what you have is in warfare is you had people that spent so long in this battlefield mentality, that they were very uncomfortable with world and our, with the life of our culture. Why is that? Well, it's because everything seemed to them to be trivial, right? Because what they recognized is a battlefield mentality shortened their list of priorities, right? They had very intense priorities that had to be occurred. There was a sense of urgency about everything they did. 
But also one of the unique aspects of Battlefield is this idea of, of the lack and the reduction of a distinction between different classes of people. You may not know this, but in the combat zone, there's no saluting. Because saluting identifies officers, right? And so there's none of that. So what happens is this aspect of respect is, is diminished in a certain sense. And what you have is a new sense of camaraderie. Likely you've noticed this if you watch war movies. You see that there seems to be a significant breaking down of what was this lofty respectability. It's not, it's not a problem. It can become one. But nonetheless, my point is this, is that Peter is drawing our attention to this idea that when we have the right mindset in the battlefield mentality idea, these earthly, earthbound ideas that are so trivial and narcissistic, and what, am I, what I mean by that, children, is this idea that it's all about me. Do you realize that many, many of the people around us live their lives? based on how many likes they get on Facebook and Instagram. Can you imagine the emptiness of that? Can you imagine that they long for someone to notice their Instagram account? That's it. That's all they have. They they have no true friendship, no idea of who it is that this chief shepherd is, no sense of being ministered to of a loving family of God, none of that. And when we're drawn into what the Apostle Peter calls us to, this mentality where there's an urgency about life, there's a joy about what it is that we're doing, and there's this kind of camaraderie and friendship that is absolutely, not only undeniable, but only possible with this mentality. And that's what Peter is drawing our attention to here, as he draws our minds to this real urgency. This real urgency. He says, after you have suffered a while, in verse 10, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our Master in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, said this, and Peter reminds us of this, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. We know the King. We know the chief shepherd. We know who he is. We know what his purposes are. He has given to us our marching orders. He is with us. He goes into battle with us day by day. He, he, he not only uh, allows our suffering, but he has engineered it purposefully such that we can not only enjoy greater communion with his people, but also with himself. And that is the God of all grace. Let us pray.